Bismillah, assalamu alaikum, and welcome to Daraja. This is Omar bringing you the Stairway to Your Higher Self podcast. Daraja is an Arabic word that means levels, stages, steps, or degrees. In each episode, we'll bring you stories of Muslim leaders from around the world who have overcome significant challenges through discipline, positivity, and faith. Our goal is that you'll be inspired through their stories to reach your higher self. Welcome to Daraja. Today we will be talking to none other than Noshina Hussein, the Chicago native, a woman who embodies the concept of Daraja. Uh, a note for our listeners, we're recording this in the middle of the conflict between Hamas and the Israeli government. And we thought we would take a slight detour and just talk about how we're feeling. So, um, Noshina, jump right in. How are you? I am all over the place. I am feeling anger and I'm feeling guilt. I'm feeling some betrayal. And somewhere in all of that, I still have a glimmer of hope. And I think it's because I came back last week from a nice birthday trip. I was relaxed and ready to get back into serving my community. And of course, I get news about, you know, Hamas attacking, only to be followed by Israel's attack on Gaza. And I just froze. I, I, I'm going to be honest. I, I really didn't want to do anything. I didn't know what to do and I didn't know what I even wanted to do. And it just happened that I went to Jummah Friday prayer at my Islamic center. And subhanAllah, sometimes I feel like the khutbah is exactly meant just for me. And Sheikh Ilyas was our guest khatib. And amazing, amazing message because one, he said, do not give up hope. And I needed to hear that reminder because it it feels very hopeless right now. And when I think about his reminder, it I recall when I had the opportunity to go to Jerusalem, I visited Hebron and Camp Ida, a refugee camp there. And the Palestinians that were there, they're just in such difficult circumstances. But the only thing that they asked us was to be their voice for the rest of the world. And I realized connecting that moment with what I was hearing in the khutbah was that that was my job, that that was the one thing that I could do was be their voice. And so I went back out on my social media and I've been off of like Instagram and Facebook and Twitter or X or whatever it's called for over a year because I just found it to be such a waste of time. But in this moment, I went back on because I needed to tell the other side of the story that mainstream media was not. And that was like the second reminder that Sheikh Elias said was tell this story, educate people. 
It's your job to be taking whatever platform you have with as many people that you can reach and to teach them and tell them what is really happening, what these atrocities are. And then his third message was, do not give up on Allah's plan, that he is a much bigger plan that we do not know about and to have hope and faith in that. And so those are sort of the three things that I'm carrying with me right now to get through these these few days. Yeah, you know, it's very, um, everything you're saying resonates with me. Um, I just got back from a conference in Spain with a number of just in, incredible, really uh, thought leaders. And as I sat there, we were actually sitting at dinner in Andalusia, of all places, in, in Al-Andalus. Yes. And we were talking, and I remember being engaged in a conversation. And someone looked at me and said, why, why, do, you, why do you look so depressed? What, what's going on? I'm like, it's just the irony of it all, you know? Here we yeah. are sitting in Andalus, um, and we, we, we were talking about Granada, maybe an hour and a half hour ride from where we are to, uh, to, to Granada. And we're like, yeah, you know, in some ways, uh, Gaza is like the Granada of our time, right? It was, yeah. it was the last place to fall um, yeah. the most, for, for Muslims in, in, in that part of the, the world. But it was just amazing to see how people, different people, handled it differently. We all were dealing with what we call collective trauma, yeah. um, and it was just, it was just so, so a lot of mixed emotions. People yeah. did their best to kind of just keep on keeping on, staying positive, making uh, du'a for our, our brothers and our sisters uh, in Palestine. But I love what you said about you have three things. I have so many things floating through my head right now, and I don't know which one to hold on to. Yeah. Uh, but our, our dean does teach us that it is somewhere between hope and fear. So, you know, we're hoping that God willing relief will come to our brothers and sisters, but we're also fearful of what could happen or what might unfold. Yeah. And I, I, as you were saying that the different experiences that the ummah, our Muslim brothers and sisters before us went through. You talked about what happened between Ali and Muawiyah. At that point, you would think Islam is dead. Nothing's going to happen. Yeah. And then here, here we are. We continued. And then there was the, the tragedy that befell uh, Zabir, who, who killed, hung from the Kaaba, mm. uh, hanging from the Kaaba for days. Mm. Um, who would have thought that Muslims would have went into Spain? And here we are today going through another catastrophic moment. But as you said so beautifully that Allah plans and he's the best of planner. Mm -hmm. We may not see, we may not see what's happening or what eventually will happen, but we have to keep our trust. We have to keep our faith in the creator. Yes, absolutely. So how, how is, how is the community in, in Minnesota? How are, how are people handling it? Yeah, you know, I think we are we I went to a protest on Sunday and I think most important a part about protesting is actually being in community with one another and speaking to real Palestinians in the community it they were more hopeful than how I sound today and I think talking to them made me realize if they are feeling 
Like this is a change. Like this is a moment. This is such a different moment than 2014 and 2006 and the Nakba and all. They are noticing things that I'm not. Then I have to really find solace in that. And so to hear some of my Palestinian friends saying this, the amount of change in the rhetoric today than versus like in the previous years is very different. And so they are more hopeful in how things are being framed. And now the world is seeing a very different lens, right? It's not just Israel and their right to defend themselves. It's war crimes and genocide and babies being murdered. So I'm seeing a lot more people waking up and not buying that rhetoric. And I'm definitely seeing this beyond the Muslim community. I'm seeing more allies being more vocal. The only thing that I'm just really surprised to see is how corporations are taking a side and how their employees are struggling with being able to speak out. And this sort of silencing is quite um, astonishing in this very capitalistic corporate environment that these larger entities are are also weighing in on things that they really don't know much about. Yeah, it's kind of like the flood, right? Remember what happened in France and everyone, I can't remember on everyone's social media page, they had the flag of France over their uh, their, their their profile picture. Uh, yeah. We stand with, with Ukraine. And <laughs> I mean, for some reason, I think people are fearful. And you, 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 I think, you're, you're, like you said, you're starting to see the crack in terms of the, the narrative before there was an airtight narrative around, you know, yeah. if you say anything against Israel, you're anti-Semitic. Yeah. Right? I think a lot of times people will mash up or they'll, they'll, they'll confuse Zionism with being a Jewish, right? So mm-hmm. if you speak out against Zionism, then you're anti-Semite. And I think yeah. people are, uh, you know, people are, become, are educating themselves. And I think yeah. as Muslims, that's something we should probably do a better job of. Right, yes. is to differentiate between the difference between being someone of, who practices Judaism versus someone who is an active Zionist. Right, they're yeah. two separate and exclusive things, but they're easy to uh, they're easy to um, to confuse or conflate. Right. What can we do from your perspective? I mean, you've done a lot of amazing things, and I'm sure you've you've gone through challenges. Nothing as challenging as this. What would you say if you were leading the Muslims for a day? What do you think are some things we can do? Yeah, I mean, we have to be, as Americans, as American citizens, we need to be exercising our voice and our right to vote and the people who we have voted into office. These are the same people that were pandering to us in those elections. We were the Muslim vote that swung some of those elections. We need to understand that power that we have. And we need to hold those elected officials accountable right now. I think a lot of people are being, what is that one phrase, arm armchair uncle politicians, where we just sit in our sofas on our armchairs and yeah, that we just criticize, but we don't make a phone call. We don't send an email. 
I mean, that's what I've been doing. I've been, I've been sending letters. I've been sending emails. I've been sending tweets, calling out my representatives, my senators, my governor, anybody that I voted for. And mind you, 2024 is just around the corner. And that is an election year, a presidential one to that. So if you think about what is it, 380, 400 billion dollars of our taxes that are going to support this regime, this genocide, we need to do something more something more direct uh, with our with the people who are in office. And we can start by holding them accountable. And then we need to move on to making sure the right people are in office. Our own people should be running for office. And this is not a Muslim issue. This is not an Arab issue. This is a human, humanity issue. And I think that is definitely one area that we should all be. My understanding is tomorrow there's going to be another protest at our Capitol and people should be showing up, asking the governor, asking the lieutenant governor, the senators and holding them accountable for what is happening. So that's one, right? I think the second one is right now humanitarian aid. It can't, it can't get through. So how, how do we support and rebuild after what, after this comes to some sort of ceasefire, right? With this, what we're asking for is ceasefire. But then what does the humanitarian aid look like? How do we, how do we give? And, and I'm not talking just about our money. That's definitely one, one aspect, but our time, our talent, our testimony. I literally at one point last week was like, wanted to hop on a plane and just go over there. I didn't know what I was going to do, right? But I wanted to help and I want to help rebuild. And what are the ways that I can lean into that? And I think the third thing is we need to keep up with our dua. We need to keep up with our prayers and we need to keep up with asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We cannot stop with those prayers. Yeah, so act, political activism, humanitarian aid, or at least being active in whichever way we can. And most importantly, uh, up our ibadah, up our worship, up our, uh, our dua. I often go back to the hadith, right? That talked about if you see a wrong, right? Yes. You first of all, you try to change it with your hand. If you can't, you speak out against it. At least hate it in your heart, and that's the, the that's the weakest of your faith. Yeah. Going to your first point around political activism, I think the worst time to build a relationship is when you need uh, mm. an ally. So I think one of the lessons learned from this catastrophe is for us as Muslims, like you said, to be engaged politically, either run for office or develop a strong relationship with your elected officials, yep. the lawmakers, because if we had the, the clout, so to speak, we, we had those relationships. It's a simple phone yep. call. Hey, yep. Senator so-and-so, hey, um, politician so-and-so, where do you stand on this issue? And one of the things I kind of, I was surprised about is we don't have a playbook. No, uh, we kind of just we're very organized, mm-hmm. uh, but as Muslims, I don't know if there's a there's a playbook or we should have those things. Those things should be at the ready. So if something happens, uh, this is the point person. These are the steps we take. Here's who we call. Here's how we we kind of galvanize and mobilize yeah. our our community. And yeah. I'm not seeing that. One yeah. of the things that I, and I 
you know, nothing, this is not, I want to preface what I'm going to say uh, by saying I am not anti-Semitic. Uh, I don't stand with Israel. I don't stand with Palestine. I don't stand with Hamas. I stand with the truth. Uh, but one of the things that I've noticed is in most cases, people who are of the Jewish persuasion, when they get on their interviews, there's a pattern. First, what they do is they kind of dehumanize or they paint uh, Muslims, Palestinians, Hamas, whomever, as the other. Mm -hmm. And they just, okay, so there's, here's who they are. And then they pivot to we, the we meaning you, Mr. or Mrs. Interviewer, or you Americans and us Israelis, we have a lot in common. And mm -hmm. they are the enemy. And we need to get work together to defeat mm -hmm. the enemy. And it's, it's any interview you see that's going to attack uh, Muslims or attack Palestinians, that's usually the playbook. It's, it, it, you see it. It's like a script. On Muslims, on the other hand, I think we're getting better, becoming more sophisticated. Yeah. I'm very excited to see that. And I hope we continue on that trajectory. Yeah. I mean, 9-11 taught us a lot. Oh, yeah. I think we still have a lot more to do and much further to go. Yeah. You know, one thing that I was recalling was Allah does not change a condition of a people unless they change themselves. When I used to hear that, I used to think about the Palestinians alone. The Palestinians mm. are not changing. Their condition is not changing because they are not changing. But after Friday's khutbah, I realized the condition is not of the people of Palestine, it's the condition of the Ummah. And it's all of us collectively that are not changing to the better that it is showing up in this genocide. And so it made me realize how much our community, our Ummah, whether it's in Minneapolis and America or globally, the Muslim community is not united like the Jewish community is. You know, we, I think we, we have so much, so many problems within our communities based on race and madhab and ethnicity and socioeconomic, like you name it, we have it. And we are not going to see changes in our ummah unless the collective ummah changes. Why are you smiling? Yeah, and I, <laughs> no, I'm smiling because I, I get, ex that's one of the things I, being a revert, whatever you're going to call it, I accepted Islam. I didn't, I wasn't born into it. But one of the things I loved, I remember, was standing next to a Jordanian, a Palestinian, an Indian, a yeah. black African, a yeah. white American. And I was like, it, it was such a, and we all, regardless of our differences, we all were making uh, the sajda together. We were making ruku together. And it was one of the most, and I still admire it. Whenever I go places, people say, why are you so happy? I'm like, because I'm around Muslims. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, um, it's not a monolithic. It's not a, we're not a race. Or if we're a race, we're considered a human race. Yeah. I think, and that, that's kind of the strength, but it, it could also go against us. With Judaism, I think it's it's a race, it's a religion, it's a philosophy, it's many different things. Islam yeah. is just, I think it's far more comprehensive, comprehensive and complex. Mm -hmm. um, but therein lies the opportunity and the challenge for us 
because yeah. Allah is going to test us and he's going to see who is the best of us. Uh, mm -hmm. We're going to get on each other's nerves. We're going to drive each other crazy. <laughs> we're going to pray together. We're going to fast together. Yeah. We're going to make hajj together. Yeah. And I think that's that's where it's going to require a lot of humility on all of our on all of us. All mm -hmm. everyone, right? If you're from this part of the world, it doesn't matter. And that's the hajj. You think about the hajj. What is the hajj? I don't care who you are. No like I remember, you know, I, I tell I was telling my friend the story that when I, uh, I went to Hajj, I was blessed to go to Hajj this past Hajj, and I saw a guy. We were standing in line, and he just cut the he cut the line. I'm like, who is this guy? And I was getting ready to like get. What are you doing? And for some reason, Allah, I don't know what happened, but yeah. I didn't say anything. Um, and he uh, he let him be, and then we um. We ended up being roommates. He slept right next to me. It ended up that he was the CEO of Dannon Middle East, right? No. Um, a beautiful brother. I love the brother to death. That's what Hodge teaches us. Don't get ahead of yourself. Be yeah. patient. Yeah. Be humble. Yeah. Uh, think the best of your brother and your sister. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of who we are as an ummah, right? Yeah. As a community, a yes. global community. I could go on and on, but I'll stop there and give you an opportunity to reflect. Oh, I um, I see the diversity in our community, and I think about when I was growing up. You know, immigrant parents coming from India, we were you know somewhat isolated. It was just family because that's all we knew. And so, in my Muslim side, was just my Indian family, and then I would go to school. And it was all non-Muslim and predominantly white. And so those were the only two worlds that I really knew until I got to. You went to four, I think, yeah, again, right? So <laughs> this, is a, this, is a really, this is really interesting because this is how Allah, like, you're like one of the most uh, well-known or you, you have such a wide network. And that's part of your personality, right? So I didn't mean to interject there, but I got excited because I know you went to like four different, like, yeah. like so can you talk about that? <laughs> yeah. So when you're a new immigrant family and you're growing, you grow out of certain homes, right? Because there's not enough space. And so because of that growth, my parents kept moving to different parts of the same suburb, but I ended up going to four different grade schools, three out of the four predominantly white. But the third one that I was at in the middle of these four happened to be on the sort of the the border of, I shouldn't say the border, but like the, the halfway point of privileged suburb and not so privileged suburb. But that school was 50% Latino and they looked like me. Didn't speak the same language, but these little brown kids looked just like me. And I thought, oh my God, this is so great. And I'm telling you, that was the that was those that third, fourth, fifth grade that I was there. I loved it there. I loved it there. And then of course our family grew some more and we ended up moving from there into the whitest, <laughs> not diverse neighborhood, which I found very challenging to live through. But then as soon as we got I got into middle school, I got to see all my friends from all those other grade schools. So talk about like 
planting the seeds for networking, right? It was me being able to move around in these different schools. And then for middle school, when I went to high school, then I saw even more people. So it did become a little bit more diverse, but it wasn't until I went to college that I was interacting with Muslims from different ethnicities. Like it blew my mind to see the diversity in Islam across the world and to see that in my MSA and be able to to appreciate that you didn't pra- you didn't have to practice Islam in just one way that there was so much diversity in how people practice and I appreciated being able to I don't know have the space to like learn about different ways and different cultures and the way the different schools of thought even were and and shockingly um the few Muslim friends that I had in high school happened to all be Shia and not Sunni Muslim, which I identify as. And all I could think of was because they look like me, I found I found real friendship and sisterhood in those four four women. And, you know, to this day we're still friends, but I think it's important for us to not seclude ourselves from that those differences and from that diversity because it really helps you grow into a better human being yeah we have to we have to apply grace we have to apply dignity we have to apply hope we have to remain strong in our belief we have like you said political activism humanitarianism and our religiosity we have to remain yeah um, have to remain hopeful we have to stay connected to our creator it just reminded me, I have a friend, a rabbi that is on one of my social medias, and he posted something that I pray for a day. I look forward to a day. I see a day where the children of Isaac and the children of Ismail will play together. And it just, I think about Dr. Martin Luther King's speech, right? And then the story of Ta'if and it just gives me hope that yes, I see, I can see that, I can envision that, and that's how we can speak it into reality, right? Is to imagine a more just world and imagine a more beautiful world where people of differences can come together. And I, and it may not be this generation; it will, but it certainly can be the next generation. Yeah, the beautiful things I think about people uh, of the Jewish persuasion. They've suffered. Let's not forget that. They were people who, uh, they were almost wiped off the face of the earth. You have to think of the, the struggles that they've had. We have to recognize, acknowledge, and appreciate the struggles mm-hmm. that they have and how far they've come. Yeah. And if Allah can give them, if God can give them that success, I think Muslims can also have that success. Jewish people are very organized. They're very deliberate. They strive and they, you know, the fruits of their labor are coming yeah. to bear today. Yeah. Um, whether it's in the political sphere, it's in the uh, media, but they let's acknowledge that. Yeah. And uh, we pray for them. We hope, and not all Jews, I don't want to classify in like right. they're Jewish people who are against Zionism. Yeah. Right. But the broader point is, I think, through that struggle and through striving, being almost eliminated, yeah. they were able to rise from the ashes. Yeah. And I agree with you. I I mean, and I've been watching, there are many Jews that can't speak out because they are then characterized as being self-hating Jews and being anti-Semitic and, and, and a whole slew of other 
words. And then there are those that are speaking out and appreciate those allies completely. But I do want, there are many moments where I'm just really impressed by the way that this community um, pulls together, especially after all of the atrocities that they have faced. I constantly think about the stereotype of, um, you know, Indian Pakistani parents always want their kids to be doctors. And it's great. There's a doctors, mashallah, right? But like, we don't have a single hospital. We don't have a single healthcare system that serves Muslims that is, you know, based in our um, religious needs. And, and I just think about, there are so many Jewish hospitals, there are so many Jewish doctors and clinics, and they um, have some of the best healthcare facilities. And it was because they weren't allowed to have receive care from certain hospitals. They were being barred from getting the health the healthcare that they needed. And so they didn't just sit around and die. <laughs> they were like, well, we're going to make our own hospital. And so when I see yeah. that type of resilience, I'm just so impressed by it. Right. And, and I look at our Muslims and I'm like, man, we've been suffering for Islamophobia for so many years. And yet we have not done big systemic changes for our community. So we are, I think, cause even like, you know, you're a Chicagoan, right? We're going to own you. Like you're from Chicago. Okay. Okay, where are you going? This you're Chicago. But we have like here in Chicago, we have a, beautiful Muslim brother, um, Brother Jawad, he, he, the insight is here. He took over recently uh, in a predominantly black community. Mm -hmm. I think those are little lights of hope that gives you yeah. hope that yes, systems are humble people, yet mm -hmm. very inspirational. We've come a long way and we have a long way to go, but I'm yeah. so hopeful. I'm so grateful for just the effort, the dedication. You know, we recently here in Chicago recently had a, a young boy, a six-year-old died. I know. And so energy, the organization, letters going to principals. We were able to yeah. bring the governor and we were able to bring the mayor yeah. and so many people yeah. um, in the political world. Uh, they all came and they supported. And, you know, God willing, this is something that we can build on, right? Yes. Hopefully our leaders in Chicago will um, continue to, you know, leverage those relationships, not just during time of crisis, right. but in, in for the Muslim community, but in times of crisis for other communities. That was something one of the organizers at the Palestinian protest was saying that when we are fighting for liberation, it should not be just for our identity, like our ethnic identity. We should be fighting for everybody, whether, whether it's the indigenous people of our land, if it's African-Americans, if it's Black Lives Matter, we should be fighting for humanity, period. Yeah. So I stand with truth, not necessarily a group of individuals or a country. I think it's mm -hmm. the universality of truth. It's been a very inspiring conversation. Just briefly summarize, we need to be politically active. We need to ensure that we're doing the best we can from a humanitarian perspective. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, we have to be more connected with our creator because he's yes. really the, the one who's fully in charge. Yes. And what I would add to that is I think our differences um, is our strength. But mm -hmm. though that, those differences could also, if not handled very carefully, uh, could be our demise. Yes. And we learn from our past. We learn from history. 
and we're inspired by the history and the tradition of our beloved prophet and his righteous followers and those who came before him. So I want to say thank you for being a part of this podcast. This was not, this was unscripted. We thought we would have a conversation um, just in remembrance uh, and in support of our brothers and sisters in the Holy Land. So did you have anything you wanted to close out with or anything that we didn't talk about that you'd like for our listeners to be um, just before? I think when uh, the work that I'm doing within the philanthropic landscape, everybody thinks they can't do that there's nothing they can do and there's always something you can do. So figure out what that is, what you're good at, what your talent is, what where you have ties, where you can lean in on your networks, where you can lend your voice. Wh- whatever makes you comfortable and feels like you're making a difference, do it. Just do it. Just do it. Jump in, do it. Jump in. Thank you so much for having the conversation. And to our listeners, thank you for, for tuning in. If you'd like to support us, please subscribe to us and give us a rating. Thank you. And may Allah bless you and be with you. And until next time, assalamu alaikum. Mm-hmm.